Peace be with you. There they sat, the disciples, in a familiar room, maybe even a room in which they had previously sat with Jesus. Only this time, it was after Jesus had been crucified. It was after they had heard the story from Mary Magdalene and Peter and John. They were afraid. When Jesus had been crucified, their world had been turned upside down and inside out. Then there was this report of an empty tomb and a resurrected Jesus, and again, their world was turned upside down and inside out. But it wasn't as though things had been put back where they were supposed to be, because now everything was even more different than it was when Jesus was dead. They finally had proof that they had chosen right. Their choice to leave behind their nets and tax collecting had been the right choice. But now what? Have you ever had a moment like that? A moment where you made an audacious claim or did something that seemed so far outside the realm of what was acceptable only to be proven right? It doesn't happen very often, of course. Our society operates on a set of prescribed rituals, and changes to these rituals are not typically welcome. The more deeply ingrained the ritual, the less welcome the change. It doesn't matter if the change makes sense. Here, the disciples sat with the notion that the most certain ritual in life, death, had been overcome. They had watched Jesus die. They watched as the soldier made sure that he was really dead. They watched as he was laid in a tomb. They watched as the stone was placed over the opening. Jesus had died. They had watched. But now, there was this news that all they had watched had been undone. They were afraid. So they did what any of us would do if we were afraid. They gave their fear a face. And they tried to find a way to keep safe from that face. John tells us that the face they gave their fear was the Jews. These were the people who had killed Jesus, after all. Who could blame them for giving their fear this face? The only way they knew to keep safe was to go into a room and lock the door. So there they sat, together, afraid, in a locked room. And then it happened. That calm and familiar voice, the one that not long ago had called out to them those life-changing words, follow me. Peace be with you, the voice called out. Can't you just see their faces when they heard this voice? Their tear-laden eyes looking to one another, crying out to one another. Did you just hear that? And slowly, each of them realized that others had also heard this voice. They look around. They see 
Jesus, their grieving transforms, their tears of sorrow and fear become tears of joy. Knowing their fears, Jesus shows them his hands that bore the scars of the nails and his side where the soldier had placed his spear. Jesus is with them only a short time, and then he is gone. But one of their group wasn't with them, Thomas. The ones who had been in the room that night, they went to go and find Thomas, eager to share with him the good news that the stories were true. They had seen Jesus alive. All of their eyes, Thomas's included, still bore the signs of too many tears shed. Only there was a difference in the eyes of those who had been in the locked room. Thomas had to have heard the story from Mary Magdalene, from Peter, from John. And now Thomas was hearing it from his friends, the small circle of Jesus' followers who had responded to Jesus' call to follow. Thomas had been with them. He had been with Jesus. He had watched all of the same events transpire that the disciples had watched. He saw Jesus put in the tomb, in the tomb. And then Thomas utters the words that have long made him the punching bag for pastors and Sunday school teachers needing someone about which to say, don't be like that guy. Thomas says to his friends, words pregnant with yearning hope, waiting to burst free and give him the peace he needs. Thomas says, unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark in his hands and my hand in his side, I will not believe. These are probably the most human words recorded in the Bible. Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. Carter, J.W., it is a blessing to be with you here today to celebrate your time being a part of this community of faith, taking part in being formed and forming this community means that you have been surrounded with important ideas and practices, rituals that are now common and familiar to you. You know the importance of careful speech. You know what it means to stand up for and sit down with the same people that Jesus would stand up for and sit down with. You know what it means to be with your neighbors, those who look like you and talk like you and those who don't. You know what it means to be at the yellow church and pack bags for boarding homes you have many times heard the same familiar words the disciples heard inside the locked room. Peace be with you. As you go from this place to all your new places, if you listen carefully, you will hear in conversations of your soon-to-be friends and classmates, professors and neighbors, administrators and fraternity brothers. Their words may not be the same, but you will hear them say, unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails, 
and my hand in his side, I will not believe. When you hear this message conveyed, it will likely not be with the same yearning hope of Thomas, but it might be. We live in Mississippi, where nearly every person you meet has heard of Jesus, can tell you some Bible stories, and can tell you something about the resurrection. They may not believe it, but they know about it. In Mississippi, the words of Thomas can come when there is a national political dispute between a Republican and a Democrat, both professing to be Christians and both making public statements that fail to measure up to Jesus' command to love your neighbor as yourself. The words of Thomas can come when a hurricane decimates the coastline, destroying property, killing people, and forever altering the lives it leaves behind. And the people watching the news footage ask, how can a good God allow this? The words of Thomas can come in discussions about the role of church in international conflict. The ways the sentiment of Thomas can be conveyed are endless. They may come in a classroom when a student or a professor will start a sentence with, if Christians really believed in this, then... They may come on a Sunday morning when you want to go to church and your roommate will say, nah, it's not worth getting up for. They may even come at a football game when people on both sides of the field will pray for the same football to fly in different directions off the foot of the kicker. It may even come when you look in the mirror and try to decide what your major will be or who you want to become. These very real conversations, thoughts, and prayers fit right here with Thomas and his statements to his friends. It is important and instructive to note that the story of Thomas does not end with his statement of what he needs to believe. A week later, Jesus comes to the group again. Only Thomas is with them this time. Jesus offers the same familiar refrain. Peace be with you. And then he walks over to Thomas. He meets Thomas's conditions. Jesus says to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Put your hands in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. My sisters and brothers, Carter and J.W., we are the body of Christ. When someone offers the sentiment of Thomas that they cannot believe unless they see and feel, that is an invitation of sorts. I do not mean to suggest that you or I or anyone else can prove someone into faith. Nor do I mean to suggest that you or I or anyone else should do anything for the purpose of showing off our faith in front of another. However, if someone wants to see the scars in the hands and side of Jesus, then he or she needs only hear your stories, of our stories, of being the body of Christ at Northminster Baptist Church in Jackson, Mississippi, and beyond. You have the language, the faith, and the experience to answer. 
You know that each human you meet bears the image of God, whether or not you agree with their religion, their politics, or their life choices. You are a part of a Christian community that cares deeply about its neighbors, the Christian ones and the not-Christian ones, the ones whose theology lines up with ours and the ones who do not. You are a part of a community of faith that is not afraid to talk about difficult issues like race, sexuality, and inequality, and admit that there is still much to learn about these topics, including how to talk about them. You have formed and been formed by a church that values the voices of each person present. You know this because you have lent your voices in the formation of this family of faith. Carter, JW, I can't tell you when or where you will hear Thomas's plea, but I can tell you that if you listen, you will hear it. When you hear it, know that you can say back to that voice when it's appropriate, come and see. Look at these hands of Jesus. Let me tell you about what they have done. You can say this in part because of the way that you and your faith have been formed as a part of this community. And Carter, J.W., because of the way that you have taken part in the forming of this community of faith, even when you have gone from this place to all your other places, when we hear Thomas's plea, and we will hear it just as assuredly as you will hear it, we can also say, come and see. Look at these hands of Jesus. Let me tell you what they have done.